0: The weighing machine was created to help you, the financial advisor or investor, reach your long-term financial goals. Each episode, your hosts, Rusty Vanneman and I, Robin Murray, cut through the market glamour to find the time-tested principles that help investors succeed.
1: The weighing machine is inspired by the classic investing saying attributed to Benjamin Graham. The stock market is a voting machine in the short term and a weighing machine over the long run. In other words, Emotion and expectations drive short-term market movement, but fundamentals and valuations determine returns over time.
0: Welcome to The Weighing
1: Machine. Enjoy, and as always, let us know what you think.
0: On the podcast today, what's in store for bonds
1: and the fixed income market in 2023? We'll discuss the outlook for bonds, Fed policy, interest rates, and much more. That's with our guest, fixed income expert and director of investment solutions at Bellhaven Investments, Stan Sattler. Welcome to The Weighing Machine. I'm Rusty Vanneman.
0: And I'm Robin Murray. Okay, let's start with a look at the markets. We did get a positive jobs report this week and the stock market fell. So, what happened
1: there and what are you watching for now? Well, it was interesting to get the employment data. It's really one of the big numbers every month, always has been, and it's taking extra importance these days. It was a pleasant surprise in terms of sort of the labor market strength, but it was also a surprise that wage inflation was lower than expected. So it really comes back to the two big concerns that are driving the marketplace right now. First of all, inflation. It's falling, but how far and how fast will it fall? And two, the potential for economic weakness. How does this all impact interest rates? How is this all going to impact what the Federal Reserve might do, which in turn, of course, influences what the stock and bond markets might do moving forward? And today's guest, being an expert in this space, will give us a good opinion on some of these issues. All right. Well, let's bring him in. Stan
0: Sattler is
1: Director of Investment Solutions
0: at Bellhaven Investments in New York. Stan, welcome to The Weighing Machine.
2: Hi, Robin. Hi, Rusty. Thank you for having me. Good to see you. Well, Stan,
1: it's really great to have you here. And as you know, we have a walk-up song as our tradition here, the very first question. And so we just need to imagine we can hear this song in the background for Stan Sattler here at the beginning of this interview. What is your walk-up song?
2: Perfect. So, I had my colleagues vote and I had my wife vote. My colleagues are trying to pay me a nice chunk of money to do uh, Wrecking Ball by Miley Cyrus, but uh, that's, that's my one joke in the podcast. I'll do Survivor Eye of the Tiger.
1: All right. Well, you know what? We're going to add them both to our playlist since you mentioned two different songs. So, our playlist is seven hours long. This is how we make it extra long when people give us extra songs. So, thank you.
2: Excellent.
0: All right. Well, Stan, so you started your career at Fidelity Investments and you've been at Bellhaven for the last six years or so. Can you tell us more about your background and how you came to your current position?
2: Yeah, thank you, Robin. I grew up on a trading desk, sort of a roundabout way from a trading desk trader, portfolio management type of role. And then came over to a sort of portfolio specialist business development type of position at Bellhaven Investments. Bellhaven is known for their trading prowess. So they like to take traders and portfolio managers and put them on podcasts and conversations with our important clients and the like. So my main roles at the firm are outreach initiatives such as these and working with our top partners around the firm. But on the day to day, I'm usually on the trading desk with the rest of the portfolio management team. Nice. All
0: right. So Bellhaven is an independent fixed income manager in a boutique firm. Tell us more about it and tell us about your team.
2: Yeah, as a firm, we're the definition of boutique. A $15 billion asset manager. Think of us as a foot wide and a mile deep in terms of our knowledge. All we do is fixed income. Municipal bonds are our bailiwick. Agency bonds, treasury bonds, corporate bonds, really traditional, high quality, safe, fixed income investments. Based in Westchester, New York, I've been around as a firm since 1991, managing assets for high net worth individuals, institutions, religious organizations, endowments, nonprofits, et cetera, on behalf of Orion and the constituents that work with them for quite some time now. So that's been great. We focus on high quality, defensive, sleep at night, individual bond portfolios. So that starts with uh, safety from credit quality. That starts with diversification and bond selection. And then we like to build laddered portfolios. And I bring that up given all the fluctuations and uh, conversations around interest rates and the Fed and what have you. you know, We like that laddered structure for, for obvious reasons that we can get into.
1: Well, Stan, we definitely wanna get your outlook on various aspects of the bond market. But first, we really wanna talk about the economy. So what is Bellhaven's outlook on inflation?
2: Uh, how much time did I have again, Rusty? We got three hours, Three right? hours,
1: yeah, I was gonna say that, exactly. <laughs>
2: We might edit it down oh, yeah. to two minutes. No. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Oh, gosh. I mean, the economy kind of two main ideas that's driving everything, right? It's inflation and the Fed. A chicken or the egg, which one's driving the other? We could go round and about on that. The thing for us, when you look at the economy, it starts with inflation, and inflation's a lagging indicator. We all hear that, and we all know that. We're concerned about the economy slowing down, and we're concerned about the Fed tightening into a slowing economic environment. Partially maybe because we're a conservative bond manager and we look at everything negatively and, and have concerns on the economy every single day. That's what we're paid to do on advisors' behalf. But there's some truth into what we're seeing out there. You mentioned inflation peaking. You look at just the last CPI number and you look at the core number. Uh, you look at core goods or core services Take away real estate, which is an anomaly when you look at the numbers at the moment, those month over month numbers are negative. So you're having inflation roll over perhaps quicker than most are, recognizing when they see the headline scary inflation number. And when you take into account that's a lagging number and some of the components of inflation are lagging even further, such as real estate, such as the effects on labor. You know, we're concerned, quite frankly, about a recession around the corner in this calendar year.
1: Yeah. So what are you expecting in terms of the Federal Reserve in 2023? What's kind of the path of what you think they might do?
2: Yeah, when you look at the Fed as as they're, this is a baseball game. They're in the eighth or ninth inning here. They're close to being done. The unique thing with the Fed, there's two ideas to keep in mind. One is simply, obviously, the overnight rate that they've raised pretty dramatically. Let's go back in history. Keep in mind, it's only been nine months since they started raising interest rates at a velocity that none of us have seen, quite frankly, in our investment careers. So that's what we're talking about with the concerns. The lagging effects are just very difficult to look out into the future 6, 12, 18 months from now and really get a sense of what does that mean to consumer demand? What does that mean to corporate balance sheets? What does that mean to margins? It's a difficult process, which is why us bond folks aren't so boring anymore. And we're getting quite a bit of calls on the trading desk because people are trying to figure out what's going on. But we look at the Fed, look, if they're in the eighth or ninth inning here, obviously they they have a meeting coming up in a few weeks. By the time this comes out, uh, the the news will, will probably be out. Their February 1 or so announcement, you're probably looking at 25 basis points. They probably got another 25 basis points in them. And then we see them as done. We wouldn't even be shocked to see them only get one more 25 in and be done as these lagging indicators become less pronounced and they can look at more coincident indicators and see some of the concerns in the economy there. You think of where the Fed just is today and you account for not just the Fed funds rate but the unwinding of the balance sheet, the Fed funds futures and projections and how that affects tightening in the economy and we're quasi north of 7% already. That is going to have profound impacts in this economy. Assuming the Fed decides to keep rates up that high for any reasonable amount of time. So it'll be interesting to see what the Fed has to say about that. But again, remember, it's only been nine months of this. We all still remember the thinking about thinking about comment that I'm sure you hear all the time and we all have a good chuckle about, right? Powell saying, I'm not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates. And then here we are, the velocity of rates higher. So the point being is that rates moved up significantly significantly. In a very quick amount of time, the Fed is almost done raising interest rates. The Fed will be forced to pause. And we think the markets may be surprised if there's any sort of risks in the public perception of what may happen with the Fed. We won't be surprised to see some version of a Fed pivot into Q3, certainly into Q4, as they look to retract and protect some of the economic damage that creating for obvious reasons.
0: So we've talked about this a few times on the show and gotten a few different opinions, but what's your view on recession risk at the moment?
2: The recession risk, we put it as pretty high. I mean, Bloomberg always does the research, obviously, every investment bank does, and they they ask every economist or the top leading 40 or 50 economists. You know, every month, every year, where do you see this? And what are the probabilities of recession? You're up to 70% in the top 38, 40 economists right now predicting a recession in 2023. It's not such a contrarian view anymore to have a recession. So whether we have a quote unquote recession or not, it's frankly arbitrary, right? To the listeners of this call, really what they're trying to figure out is What does that mean for my practice? What does that mean for my clients? What should I be looking at to allocate in? What are my investments? What should I do? So we think the quote unquote recession probability is high to significantly high this calendar year. But it's just a scary word that's frowned upon. It's really just a natural part of the business cycle and a natural part of investing over longer periods of time to grow and preserve wealth. So You know, with that in mind, we think ultimately corporate profits are going to have to come down. Margins are going to have to tighten. Demand for general goods, real estate, services are going to come down at a time where people are going to be getting laid off and people aren't going to be getting bonuses or the raises they were hoping for this time last year. But I say all that to paint the backdrop that while we think there's going to be a recession, that doesn't mean it's such a bad situation. Everyone thinks of a recession as this dire situation because the last recession in everyone's mind was a dire situation, right? The global financial crisis in 2008 and 2009. That was one of those unique, uglier versions of a recession. You could have a recession where fixed income can do well, equities could have already priced that in, yet to be seen. It doesn't need to be an ugly situation. It's not the sky is falling in when we say there's going to be a recession necessarily, right? But look, when you think of historical ugly recessions, there's really two main themes. If you go back over the past 100 years, and we've done quite a bit of research on this and work with other economists on this and what have you. Two main themes are, one, inflation that needs to be crushed by the Fed. So the Fed goes out of bounds, does something egregious to force inflation down. To put that in perspective, that would be Volcker, right? We would say this time is not as dramatic. We obviously have inflation. It is a problem in the here and now, but expectations for the future on inflation are anchored. When you look at five-year forward inflation numbers and projections and futures, you're at 2%. There's an anchored expectation of future inflation. So you don't have this runaway inflation. You go back to the Volcker days when they had to really jack up rates and create a nasty recession. That anchoring five-year forward was 10%, not 2% like we have today, 10%. So it's a dramatically different environment. and We don't have to have a nasty recession. So inflation will get under control without having to have a dire recession. And two, the other idea where recessions are nasty is because there's either too much leverage in the system or the combination of leverage and a bubble that has burst. And you've seen that time and time again. The last big one would have been the global financial crisis. Prior to that, maybe it was tech, if you fully consider that a recession, right? But you look today, bubbles have bursted and there was leverage, but it hasn't created the trickle effects and the carnage that you'd expect of a nasty recession when you think of leverage and you think of bubbles. When we think of bubbles today, it's uh, all the things that CNBC always talks about, right? It's SPACs, it's meme stocks, it's cryptocurrencies those have all popped. We are on the backside of those. I have no idea what direction any of those are headed, but those have officially popped. And it has not created an oh my gosh scenario as far as a recession. So we think there will be a recession. We don't think that recession needs to necessarily be the end of the world. We don't think that inflation Is that anchored? It'll be under control. And we don't think the bubbles or the leverage that was there is going to have that much trickle down effects. So what that ultimately means, in our opinion, is that equities can hang in there. Interest rates at some point should trickle lower as the Fed eases some of the burden of the mild recession that we may have.
1: Great. So my next question is, let's break it down in terms of just, you know, the various segments of the bond market. So first of all, we want to know about municipal bonds. So there's been a lot of talk about them lately. And so what is the Bellhaven view on municipal bonds?
2: Yeah, that's an easy one for us this year, not last year. Last year, municipal bonds took a beating. Obviously many asset classes took a beating, but pretty unusual to see what happened in the muni space. Look, you think of fixed income as a whole, $10 trillion was taken out of the economy in fixed income all of last year. Obviously, interest rates have a dramatic move from one and a half percent on the 10 year peaking all the way in October up to four and a quarter. You know, what does that mean for you last year? You take a typical intermediate muni index, it was down about seven percent total return. You take a classic taxable fixed income index like the ag, and it was down about 13 percent for the year total return, give or take. And then you're left in an environment where, okay, where do we go from here? Fixed income took a pounding, money came out of the space, there was underperformance, you have a massively inverted yield curve, two to 10-year treasuries, 60 basis points, effectively, somewhere in that range. But take any version of the yield curve and it's inverted when you think of a treasury market. The beauty of the mini market is it is not inverted. So for those investors that are looking for a place to step out a few years on the yield curve and actually get incremental income and yield, you can do that in the municipal marketplace because the municipal bond space is 80-plus percent individual investor-driven. The money may be managed by an institution in some type of fund structure, an individual account structure, but the comings and goings of inflows and outflows in the municipal bond space is ultimately the decision of an individual investor. And that is different than any other asset class, quite frankly, because institution money movement doesn't happen as often in the muni space because institutions such as foundations, endowments, religious organizations do not get the benefits of the tax exemption of the muni space. Only individual investors do. So I bring this up to say the move in munis, some may argue, was exacerbated last year due to the fear of a war of inflation of the Fed. When you think of the Wall Street Journal, what's on the front page, right? It's a war Fed inflation that makes an individual investor nervous. I'm going to sell investments and hang out for a little bit. It also made investors lock into the short end. So there was more demand for the short end than the long end, aka why the municipal bond curve isn't inverted. So I bring that up to say that when the narrative changes at some point, most likely this year, you'll see a significant amount of inflows back into the space and you should see a very high quality performance, if not outperformance.
1: That's some good stuff. I mean, I thought that was a really good explanation of the municipal market and kind of where it's at and kind of what the potential is moving forward. I kind of want to move towards other bond market segments and First of all, I want to talk just about investment grade, you know, corporate bonds, but also related to that, you know, high yield corporate bonds. I know that's not your bellywick, but nonetheless, I bet you have an
2: opinion on them. Yeah, we have an opinion. The one thing I do want to add on municipal bonds is just the idea of the overarching tax situations in the country. And it parlays into the corporate situation. When you think of what we've done from 2020 on and really from the global financial crisis on, we've printed a ton of money. And we've taken on a ton of debt as a country, regardless of how you feel about that emotionally, politically, right, wrong or indifferent. What that ultimately means is at some point, one of a few things has to happen in order to pay back that debt. Right. Whether you're borrowing at zero percent, one percent or five percent, at some point you need to pay back your debt. One of the easiest sort of most comfortable ways for politicians to pay back that debt, quite frankly, is to tax and typically is to tax the individual, the W-2 individual. You've seen this already with states. California will be raising their tax rate from uh, 13.3% to 14.4% on the top earners starting in 2024. Massachusetts, other states like that. The federal government may do the same. A little bit of a crystal ball who knows exactly how that will all play out. But there is a narrative out there that we may over the next three, five, 10 years see meaningfully higher tax rates in this country on some version of income. And that's going to make municipal bonds quite a bit more attractive. So I bring that up to say, there's a lot of tailwinds for the tax-exempt municipal bond market that we expect it to do very well over the next 18 months, two years, three years. Less so in the corporate bond market, quite frankly. And we venture into the corporate bond space. Any version of a recession where margins are compressed, aka corporations are making less money, that means they have less money to pay back their debt. Now, the great corporations of our time, the AAA-rated corporations, they'll be just fine. So I don't mean to make anyone nervous about the asset class. But in a difficult economic environment, we would not be shocked to see some credit spread widening, meaning that investors will expect to need to get compensated for more additional income in the corporate bond market than some other investments, such as treasuries or munis because in difficult economic situations, investors will put their head in the sand and look for conservative, safe investments. Tailwind from uni, not great for corporate bonds. So we like some corporate bonds, but we have been very selective in the corporate bond market. Actually, most of our taxable strategies that we run for individuals with uh, qualified money, an IRA, what have you, for foundations, institutional money, we've been shying away from corporate bonds And we've been predominantly looking at taxable municipal bonds, which is a unique area of the fixed income market that's sort of up and coming in the sense of people are just beginning to kind of get their head around it and learn about it. But it's creating a differentiation and a unique opportunity for investors. I'd love to elaborate on that. But overall, there's a place for corporate bonds. But now would be a time, in our opinion, to be underweight, the asset class rather than overweight. Good stuff.
0: So are there any other markets, fixed income or otherwise, that you're watching at the moment?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's areas of concern out there. We're keeping a close eye on some of the more troubling emerging markets of the world in terms of countries and seeing how the increase in debt expenses are playing out more as just a recessionary indicators and what's going on in the economy. So that's an area of opportunity, but an area of risk. And you really need to know what you're doing in that space. It's not an area we participate in, but we keep an eye on it. Keeping an eye on just global yields in general, even of uh, high-grade countries around the world. If we were to put kind of three areas of the fixed income market that cause us some angst or concern, it would be areas of the corporate market. It would be some areas of the emerging market space. And it would be some areas of uh, commercial mortgage-backed securities.
1: Nice. I do have one more question that kind of comes back to investment. So I should have asked this earlier, but, and I think it's a question you probably get a lot, particularly given the strategies you offer. It's a very common question that I get. And that is, if you're a fixed income investor, when do you decide to use a fixed income fund? And when do you use a laddered portfolio?
2: It's a great question. Now, keep in mind, you can utilize a laddered structure in a fund, although it doesn't exactly work the same to the point you're getting at. But just for clarity with investors, when you think about, should I use a mutual fund or should I use an individual account, which is typically in a laddered structure, right? You know, Bellhavens involved in both. Typically, it comes down to a few things. It typically comes down to goals, objectives, what you're trying to accomplish. But it also comes down to dollar amount. And the reason it comes down to dollar amount would exclusively be one of the biggest benefits of a fund is diversification. You can take a small amount, a medium amount, a relatively small amount of money and be very well dispersed and diversified, which is important in the municipal bond space and the fixed income space. In a separately managed account, you want to have a reasonable amount of capital. That's why there's minimums in place just to assure you get the same level of safety and quality performance and all that. That you hope to achieve with an individual bond account. Now, with that said, so you get convenience with a fund, you get the diversification, which is a home run. But for those investors that have the capital amounts, you think of typical institutions or ultra high net worth individuals, the majority of them will use a separately managed account. And the reason is a fewfold. One of the reasons is just customization. You can manage around your specific tax situation. You can manage around your specific goals, needs. We build portfolios all the time that'll be, hey, my kids are going off to college in three years and I need my money back then, maturing by that date, the bonds maturing by that date. That would be something important in a separately managed account. Now, with the volatility of 2022, one of the biggest benefits that came out of an individual account for most investors was simply that you could see the actual maturity date on your end bond, knowing I have uh, X amount of dollars maturing on December 1st of 2021, 2022, et cetera. And as that money matures, I get my capital back at no loss. I can then either use that capital elsewhere from that no loss I get my money back plus my interest, or hopefully I can reinvest it back into the new higher, more attractive interest rate environment. So what tends to happen is when interest rates are moving higher, the idea of an individual account seems very safe and protective and great, and people get excited about that and flock to it. And when interest rates are not moving higher, then the convenience of a mutual fund may play better for some investors, depending on who's involved. Let's switch
1: gears now to, you know, some of the questions we like to ask all of our guests on the show. And first, you know, professionally, you are, of course, surrounded by a lot of incredible resources and ideas. So against that backdrop, what is personally currently your favorite investment?
2: Yeah, it's funny because, again, we're a foot wide, a mile deep, so I'll do what I can to keep it to strictly fixed income and not have too much fun with, with that question. You can, can go wherever you know. want
1: on this. That's, this, <laughs> like this question that. is so open-ended. We've had a range of answers, so you can take it wherever you want.
2: Well, I appreciate that, but I would just say this. We're fortunate to not only invest for very smart individuals and entities, but also partner with them and learn from them. So what we've seen is a lot of our very wealthy individuals that have gone from a world where municipal bonds were barely paying 1% anywhere on the yield curve, saying, gosh, I can go get three, four, five percent, depending on where I'm buying on the yield curve and what I'm looking at, and just saying, you know, build me a sit on the beach portfolio. I've made enough money in my life. Now I want to earn tax exempt income for the rest of my life and sit on the beach. So those are just always fun to hear and hear about the investment philosophy on why, you know, focusing on just 20, 25, 30 year municipal bonds and locking in a very high you know, locked in interest rate that's tax free for quite some time. So that's probably my personal favorite. I don't have a sit on the beach portfolio yet, Rusty. I'm still hard at work with you and Robin, yep. <laughs> but I'd say that one because that would be a dream of mine. It's fun to work with investors that are in that place that are doing so.
1: All right. So, our next standard question we typically close out shows is in our profession, of course, we all have an obligation to perform at a high level. So, how do you maintain your health, both physical and mental, to ensure you're performing well?
2: Gosh, this is a tricky one because I could be bipolar on this one, quite frankly. When I'm on the training desk, I'm sort of known to have a bowl of M&Ms right to the left of my (laughs) training screen. Those
1: are vitamins.
2: Those are vitamins. Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> you know, they're green, they're yellow, so they're colorful. So that it feels like it hits some major food groups. You're right. I mean, never even mind physical health. We're in a business where you have to bring it every day. You have to be accountable for your actions every day. Every decision is paramount. Every conversation is important and and paramount for that individual situation. So I get up bright and early. I'm up 4 a.m., 4.15, bright and early. You know, some version of yoga or a jog, some version of meditating, whether that's mindful leadership, whether that's a podcast like this on investing, whether that's just trying to take a deep breath and be able to be thoughtful and mindful for when difficult decisions need to be made. So the mental health is, is really important for what we do. It's a little bit of working out, a little bit of meditation and sneak a book or a blog or something like that in there when I can.
1: I think that's our new earliest wake up time, Robin.
0: Uh, it and might it's be. East
1: Coast time too. So when stands up, I mean, we're, <laughs> he's hours ahead of us.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's funny
0: all right well one more on this and that is like many of us right you've been around many successful people who've helped you get to where you are today so who are some of those people mentors and people like that that you are professionally thankful for
2: there's plenty of people in my personal life I mean the, the key you learn in this business as you kind of progress and take your humble pie and grow into a leader and all that good stuff you learn nobody gets where they are alone. It takes not just one or two people. It takes a whole village. It takes a whole team. There's always somebody above you picking you up. And there's always somebody below you catching the things you dropped on, on the way up kind of thing. And, you know, keep saying thanks to those that pick you up and you hope to drag everybody else with you, you know, that have had your back along the way kind of thing. Mm-hmm. If there's one, it's going to be cheesy because it's the founder of our company, our CEO. It's Matt Dalton. Matt had a very unique entrepreneurial vision for this firm. He is the only person I've known to really grow an asset manager to the level and scale and do right by clients the way we have from nothing, from bootstrapping the company. So it's just exciting to be involved and learn from a culture of entrepreneurship and putting the client first and a culture of service rather than what's typical. Or Sometimes you see in the industry of kind of it's for me or it's about me or there's an ego or a selfishness involved. So if there's one thing that I'd take away, somebody that kind of changed my life a little bit is just just that general mentality towards business of, you know, putting yourself in the investor's shoes and being entrepreneurial.
0: Nice. All right. Well, one more before we let you go. And that is, do you have any recommendations for our listeners on content that you are currently consuming? Books, podcasts?
2: Oh, gosh. Uh, I consume so much content. I'll say this. As a firm, we put out quite a bit of content. Much of that is partnered with Rusty and Orion and the team. Some of that just goes out you know, through drip and email and resources like that directly to clients and partners and what have you. On a weekly basis, every Monday, we put out what we call a brunch with Bellhaven. It's a backstage pass. We look at it as this is not a formal report to investors. This is tongue-in-cheek commentary, five bullet points, 100 words or less a backstage pass to what's being talked about directly on the trading desk. So that's sort of my favorite one. And I always like when other firms do similar, where it's not that glossy end of year report or something like that, which obviously you need and they're important, but it's always funner to get into the nitty gritty. So I like things like that, that we produce. I listen to this podcast. I keep up on Rusty's webinars, but it feels like there's too much content sometimes to keep up, but I do the best I can there. Every single employee of Bellhaven has a copy of the Handbook of Fixed Income Securities.
1: Oh, that's a good one.
2: Thank you. Yeah, so that (laughs) is a 2,000 pages textbook vibe. Frank Fabozzi, effectively the father of fixed income. So at the end of the day, we're a boring conservative, intentionally conservative bond manager. If you ever want to be put to sleep, we got a great book for you, Uh, Handbook (laughs) of Fixed Income Securities. (laughs) Nice.
0: All right. Well, those are all great recommendations. And thanks so much, Stan, for coming on the show. And before you go, tell us how can listeners stay in touch and learn more about what you're doing at Bellhaven?
2: Yeah, thank you for that, Robin. Obviously, we're excited to partner with Orion. The biggest thing I would say is that as a firm, Our service model, the best way to work with us is we do not work with individuals directly. We're not out marketing and selling ourselves and promoting ourselves to individual investors. We work exclusively through organizations like yourself and the advisor. So our entire firm is built to help the end advisors maintain, grow their practice, do right by their clients. From access like this to reporting, to support on calls and webinars and all that good stuff. So the best way to work with us in any of those ideas... The best email address would be service at bellhaven.com. And that's S-E-R-V-I-C-E at B-E-L-L-E-H-A-V-E-N.com. That's just a simple distribution email that goes out to the investor relations team. And that way we can make sure we get back to you in a timely manner and get you everything you need. Well,
1: Stan, thank you so much for your time today. I think this to be one of those podcasts that I think some listeners are probably going to stop, take notes you know, rewind. So really useful information. So thanks again for your time.
2: Thank you, Rusty. Thank you, Robin. Hopefully everyone listening offers good reviews to Rusty and Robin and Bellhaven gets invited back. So thank you all.
1: <laughs> all right. Thanks again, Stan. All right.
0: All right well, that's going to do it for this week. Rusty, take us out with your final words.
1: Invest well and be well.
0: We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening to The Weighing Machine. And hey, if you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And thank you for your time and trust in Orion Advisor Solutions.
1: Thanks again for listening. Robin and I truly appreciate you giving us some of your valuable time. We hope to provide you in each episode something you can use in conversations or making decisions or both. If you like this podcast, you might also like some of our sister podcasts at Orion Advisor Solutions. First, we have the Weighing the Risk podcast, which I host monthly. On behalf of Orion Risk Intelligence, this is where we consider various market scenarios regarding top-of-mind concerns among financial advisors and investors. Next, we have one of the top-rated and most popular podcasts in the financial industry, especially when it comes to behavioral finance, Dr. Daniel Crosby's weekly Standard Deviations podcast. And when it comes to all things fintech, we also have the bi-weekly The Fuse Show with Ryan Donovan and George Figuera, two of the funniest guys in the industry. You will learn something and laugh in every episode. Last, when it comes to more content, including commentary, videos, and other resources, please check out the website, orionportfoliosolutions.com, go to the research drop down menu, and go to the Financial Advisor Success Hub. Thanks again, invest well and be well, and we'll talk to you next week.
0: Weighing Machine is hosted by Rusty Vanneman, Chief Investment Strategist at Orion Advisor Solutions, and me, Robin Murray, freelance writer and editor. If you have feedback or questions about our podcast today, please send us a note at rusty@orion.com. All opinions expressed by Rusty Vanneman and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and don't reflect the opinion of or endorsement by Orion, its affiliate subsidiaries, and its employees. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for legal, tax, and investment decisions. The opinions are based upon information the participants consider reliable.